0: starting in Acts chapter 4. And when we left, Peter and John were going into the temple courts day after day. All the believers were going into the temple courts day after day. And they were gathering and they were praying together. And they were celebrating the favor of all the people. Everybody... Everybody loved that crowd up there, that group of people, that group of people that was growing and growing and growing. And they healed this guy that had been lame since birth. So this guy has never walked. He's never walked in his whole life. He's been a beggar. Um, Probably people have carried him to the uh, various gates of the temple, various parts of the temple his whole life where he would beg and then carry him home at night Um, he's been there for 40 years. So a lot of people have known him and recognized him. And, you know, uh, think about somebody that you've known for 40 years or maybe five. Uh, Think about somebody that you've known for a really long time. And maybe you haven't even seen them for a really long time. You don't even know if they're still alive, wherever they are but you would kind of recognize them and you'd kind of be like, hey, wait a minute. I recognize you. That's so-and-so. I think that's so-and-so, right? You have those conversations. Well, that's how this guy is. He would be at the gate. Um, It's almost kind of like the people that you see around town that are holding the God bless, give what you can, money, where you're like, I've seen that guy. How's that guy out here? I've seen him at Target. Now he's on the west side at this place and you recognize him. You kind of know this guy was known 40 years of just sitting outside the gate in Jerusalem and people walking by and he couldn't walk. And, you know, maybe people talked to him, maybe people knew his name and he got healed and he got healed and he could stand up. And it says that he jumped around and he was celebrating. And now this is like, wow, this is an amazing work of power. And all the people, they remember this guy, Jesus. They, they're familiar. It's only been a few months since Jesus was crucified and, and rumored to be raised from the dead. It wasn't even a whole year ago that people saw Jesus working miracles. But Jesus died and he is gone. But this group that was following Jesus, there's still miracles happening. What? Wait, no. How could this be? So they throw Peter and John in jail. It's not uh, you're on lockup because you did something bad. It's we need to inspect you and we need to ask you questions. But it's too close to uh, shut down time right now and we're all about ready to go home. So we're going to lock you up and keep you in jail so that tomorrow morning when we all come back to work, we can really question you. And that was kind of how it worked. Uh, the, the funny thing that you, you can appreciate just for a little bit is that it was illegal to have a trial at night. And that's why it's so messed up when you read about Jesus being tried and how they take him from house to house overnight. Every time they took him from one house to another, they shouldn't have even left that house at night, much less taken him to another place to have a trial. There's only one place where they should have a trial, and they don't even go to that spot while they're trying him at nighttime. So they, they just really broke. They did they did a lot. There's a lot of corruption and a lot of wrong in Jesus' trial. And so the next day, this is Acts 4, 5. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. You get a whole roster here and we're like, I don't know who any of these people are. Well, Luke, when he wrote this, it says in chapter one that he wanted to write down an accurate account of what happened. He really, really wanted the details in there. Not like John. John's going to write a gospel and he's going to tell you what stuff smelled like and what the setting of the room was, and how he felt, that's not Luke. Luke is, here's who is in attendance, and here's what they said. And we're just going to get as accurate as we can. So the way this worked, the way this high priestly family business worked, was that you would be a high priest. In the the Levitical law, you would be the high priest because your dad was a high priest, And your dad's dad and your dad's 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 dad was of the family of Aaron, because only Aaron and his brothers and or his sons could be the high priest. But then Rome got involved and Rome was kind of political and they wanted to keep all the Jewish people happy, but they also wanted to rule. So they started to offer the high priesthood to the highest bidder. And it was corrupt and it was all messed up. And there's something like 30 high priests from 60 B.C. to 30 30 or 40 A.D. So like in 100 years, they had like 30 high priests. And I think almost all but maybe three of them were of one family. Which would make sense if that family was descendants of Aaron, but they weren't. They were just really rich and had influence with the Romans, okay? So this is kind of there's some nasty corruption. So then when you aren't the high priest anymore, and now, oh, well, you know, high priest, we need somebody else to be the high priest now. It'll be my brother. But I'm going to tell my brother what to do. And so you kind of get this whole group of The guy that used to be the high priest still has a whole lot of say and a whole lot of influence. So when they bring the high priest together, you don't get the high priest. You get Annas, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. So the other thing you have to know about these guys is that they were Sadducees. And you remember there were Pharisees who were rigorous about the law. There were Sadducees who did not believe in a resurrection from the dead. And so I hope you can start to see how this is playing out, that the guys that are in charge don't believe in a resurrection. And you've got some dudes that healed somebody and they say, well, so let's see what happens. They set them all in the midst. So these guys would all, all this high priestly family, there's like 70 of them in the, in this council of the Sanhedrin. And in the middle, they put James, or not James, Peter and John. When they set them in their midst, they asked them, "By what power or by what name did you do this?" So basically, what they're trying to get Peter and John to do is to blaspheme. If they can get them to say that they are worshiping any god besides Yahweh, then they have permission to put these guys out maybe to kill them. They don't really have authority to kill, but they can find a way to get her done. So they want these guys to say some name besides Yahweh so that they'll blaspheme and they can kill. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders. Awesome. So Peter, right from the get-go you can tell he is not trying to hide anything. He is not ashamed. He is not trying to figure out what's the fastest way. How can I just chill everybody out and get out of here fast? Uh, there would be an audience. There would be people watching. So if you wanted to learn more about the law and you wanted to learn more about God's ways, you would come and listen to what the Sanhedrin would discuss and decide upon. You would go listen to the, you can, you can go online and you can watch court cases right now of all kinds of courts all over the United States, and you can see how courts work. If you wanted to learn how the law would be, you know, if you wanted to be a rabbi, you could come and sit. So there's a crowd here. And Peter, with no fear and no, I'm trying to get out of this, he just comes out. All right, everybody, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today, Concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? So he's saying, "If I'm on trial, I just want—I just want the record to show that you're putting me on trial today for healing a crippled man." Is that—is that right? Is that why I'm here? <laughs> Which forces the Sanhedrin to be like, "Yeah, uh, yeah, we arrested you because you healed a crippled man." So he's forcing them to say, to admit that. By what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. So I love just Peter is just totally just thumbing his nose and just. In their faces, because he says, Jesus of Nazareth, which is not Yahweh, according to them, who you killed. So he's putting the blame fully on them. Whom God raised from the dead. So he's bringing up not only that you tried to kill him, but you failed at it. But there is resurrection from the dead, which is just going to offend the whole 72 of them because they're Sadducees and they don't believe in resurrection from the dead. By that name, here is this thing that nobody can argue about. This dude is healed and standing here. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Okay, so this is spoken of in Isaiah. He's, He's kind of paraphrasing Isaiah and he's referring to Isaiah where Isaiah talked about there the the builders would be building and they would reject a stone and because they didn't like the way that stone felt in fit into what they were building but that stone would go on to be the capstone and the main most important stone of the building so just just Take that over for a minute. So when we say cornerstone, there's probably one on this building, and I don't know where it is, that like you lay the cornerstone and it has the date on it, and when you're building the building, everybody celebrates, we put the cornerstone in place. Yeah! That's not what this is talking about. What this is talking about is when you would build a wall, um, you would have the walls, and they would put a stone at the top of the corner and it would be joining those two walls together as one wall. And it would be holding the, that corner. So um, some of your translations might have a little footnote and it says, or the head of the corner or the capstone. Because emotionally to us, it's the cornerstone. Like emotionally in our culture, we talk about the cornerstone. That's like the most important part of the building. This signifies when it was built in their culture the important part was the stone that was up here at the corner of the building that would bring the walls together and help it. Does that make sense? The whole point is, Isaiah said, he prophesied that the religious people would be trying to build something. And there's this stone, this, this part of what they're trying to build, and they would reject it. But the thing that they would reject would actually be the most important part. And it would come back and become the most important part of the thing that they should have been building. And that's Jesus. They rejected him. They were trying to do their thing. The most important thing that they could do was to follow Jesus, the son of God. The Messiah, the Savior. They rejected him. He came back, and he became the most important part of the thing—the Church, which is the body of God, the Christ's body, the body of Christ. So he says all of this about them. The other cool thing that he says: this uh, God raised from the dead. This is a Halloween. This is a Halloween special here. So raised from the dead. What's well, really crazy, Luke? Luke is awesome the way he writes this. And if you ever want to learn Greek and have fun with a Greek dictionary, you gotta do the Gospel of Luke is the one to do it because Luke knows there's one word that means uh, a person that's dead, like and being resuscitated. There's another word that someone's dead and goes to the other world where dead people go. And then they came back and returned back into the world of the living. And the word that he used here is Jesus, who God brought back from the world of the dead and re-entered into the world of the living, which is just huge, right? Um, So people would die. The Jews believe that your spirit would float around your body for three days and see if it was going to go back into you and you were going to come back to life. So this covers all kinds of medical things that we would refer to now where somebody like goes into a coma and then they resuscitate or they're unconscious and then they come back. So the Jews would wait three days to see if you're going to come back to life or not because your spirit was floating around in the room trying to decide if it was going to go to where the dead people go or give you some more time. That's why when Lazarus came back from the dead, it was such a big deal because he was already dead for three days. Why they felt like they had to hurry. That's the cycle. So Peter says to all the Sanhedrin, you killed him. You did it. You know you did it. God brought him back from the world of the dead into our world. And it's by this name, This Jesus was a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the capstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we may be saved. There is no other name. There is no other hope. There is nothing else we can pray to. There is no one else we can ask. Only Jesus. Peter just said all that. Okay, Peter is like, uh, he's not from Boonville. He's not even from Chandler. Like, he's from Warwick County, right? Like, Peter is not from any educated, knowledgeable place. The Sanhedrin, they're all Yale and Harvard. Like, they got so many letters after their names. They got, like, more letters after their names than in their names, And Peter is just a fisherman that was with Jesus. And he has, in this day, um, think about times where you've been somewhere. And have you ever thought they're going to ask me to say something to this group? I'm going to have to, you know, get up. They're going to ask me to public speak. Um, There's some crazy statistic that people would rather die than speak in public. Like, they just don't want to get up in front of people and talk. In this day, it was worse. Like, you really had to be trained to get up in front of people and speak. And here's Peter, and he gets up and he gives this awesome speech, and he's you know, bringing in all these things, and he's quoting Isaiah. When Peter was with Jesus, Peter never quoted Isaiah. Like, that's not in any of the Gospels. All of a sudden, if, if you get confidence in the Holy Spirit, get confidence in the Holy Spirit in how much these guys quote Scripture in Acts, that they didn't quote scripture when they were with Jesus. Before the Holy Spirit came, they, there's a lot of stuff they didn't get. It's really exciting. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. So these guys know they remember Jesus. It has not been a very long time. But seeing the man who is healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. They had nothing. They could not argue. Because here is this work of God that God has done, and and it was real. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. So they order John and Peter, get out of here. We need to have a conversation without you guys behind And so they start talking. What are we going to do with these men? That notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all, everybody in Jerusalem. We can't deny it, but we have to tell them in order it may not spread any further among the people, we have to warn them no more to speak in this name. They just just can't, we can't argue with this, but we got to tell them to quit talking about this Jesus. Okay, so here's something awesome. How, do we, how, how does Luke have any idea this was said? Like, if the Sanhedrin said, everybody out, we're going to discuss this. So there's a couple theories that historians have. One theory is that in time, some of the Sanhedrin would uh, become Christians and they would talk to Luke and they would tell Luke about how this happened. One super cool version of that story is it's highly likely that Saul, who would later become Paul, was part of this Sanhedrin. Because he mentions his rabbi later, and the rabbi that he mentions was part of this Sanhedrin. So think through how things are playing out. We know how it ends, right? We know the whole book of Acts. There's 72 guys here that are part of this group, They're mostly Sadducees, but they aren't all Sadducees. But if they're not Sadducees, they're the top, top Pharisees. And Paul was one of the top Pharisees, and so was his rabbi. So this could have been a story told while they're sitting on a boat on their way to Cyprus or somewhere, and Luke is asking, and Paul is like, oh yeah, telling. We don't know, but we have it here. So they call them back in. They say, don't speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So don't do that. We're not going to tell you, we're not gonna, you're not going to get us on record saying, don't heal lame people, but you're going to get us on record saying, don't talk about Jesus. Peter and John again. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you instead of God, you need to Judge. For we can't but help but talk about what we have seen and heard. (laughs) So Peter basically says, it's up to you whether we obey. You judge for yourself whether you think we should serve God or not. Because we can't help but talk about it. We can't help but talk about what Jesus has done. We can't help but when we see somebody that God is having mercy on to work and have an act of mercy and heal that person. When they had further threatened them, they let them go because they had no way to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. So all the people that are watching are praising God for what Peter and John had done and the Sanhedrin doesn't want to get on their bad side. It says, for the man who this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So when we were doing training on how to be missionaries in countries that where it's illegal to be a missionary, or countries that are closed where you can't you can't uh, it's against the law for people to convert to Christianity, we we had training on okay so how do you live in a place like that? And one of the things the guy said he said you'll probably go and you'll probably work for a charity and you'll work for a charity and you'll be some aid, or you'll, you'll benefit the people somehow. And you have just under three years to make the people of that place so dependent on you that when the government wants to kick you out, the government is the bad guy and not you. And so this guy told the story of, sure enough, he was in North Africa, and they were doing medical help for people and helping them with all these medical needs and from first aid all the way up to like bigger levels of of doctors and nurses and all this stuff. And the government wanted to kick them out of the country. The government said, you're Christians, you're converting people, you can't be here anymore. And so this guy, he said, he said, remember how bold Peter was? This guy that ran this organization, he said, all right, That's fine. Do you want to tell the 500,000 women and orphans that we help every year that you're kicking us out? Or do you want us to tell the 500,000 women and orphans that we help every year that you're kicking us out? And they said, you can stay. (laughs) How awesome is that, right? Because the guy had a work of God that he could point to, look at what God did. I got 500 widows and orphans that are all being fed, that are all receiving medical care, that are all living happy and faithful and productive lives. So you can disagree with my religion, you can kick me out, but what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with them? And the government leaders were like, we do not, we do not want that. We do not want them knocking on our doors. We can do the same way, the same thing. And it doesn't mean people are dependent on us. It doesn't mean that that we, we serve people in such a way that they're desperate for us every single day. But what if we serve people in such a way that our good deeds would shine before men, would shine before people, in such a way that they would worship God. What if our out? What if our good deeds and the great things that we did and the love that we showed outshined all the things that Christians want to boycott and be against and be mad at? What if we were known by our love for one another? So this is all stuff that Jesus said would be the mark of a Christian. He says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says. Let your good deeds shine before men so that they'll praise their father in heaven. Wow, there's a, a lady, we were, we were at the library. So we have a library near our house. This is, this is for probably the next six months, I hope. This will be my picture of someone praising God. Uh, we go to the library, we're dumping all these library books off and this neighbor lady drives by. And she's real animated and she used to be a school teacher and she's just blah, 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 blah. And um, I said, hey, I'll see you tomorrow. She said, what are you, where are you going to see me tomorrow at? And I said, the farm stand. We're going to have sweet potatoes. She said, I thought you were closed. I said, no. We have like 200 pounds of sweet potatoes. You have to come and take some sweet potatoes. She goes, oh, I love sweet potatoes. I thought you were closed. I'll be there. Oh, good. I'm so glad I saw you. And she drives off. And she got like to the park, like as far away as the parking lot. She had her window down. And we hear her. And she goes, oh she's just laughing and cackling because she's so happy that our farm stand is open <laughs> and she's just cheering in her car like yeah Woo! and laughing and then of course yesterday she shows up she pulls up she goes oh, I'm so glad you have sweet potatoes and she's just carrying on the whole time she's walking she's just like I said she's real animated and live. gosh like that's the picture right May we do stuff that people would see the stuff that we do and praise God. And the same lady, uh, she came a couple weeks ago, and she had a picture on her phone of a garden spider. And she said, I just saw this on my front porch. And I said, God, why have you chosen me to put this beautiful spider on my front porch? And that was her whole, she was just praising God for this spider. Praising God for 200 pounds of sweet potatoes. Whew. Man, may we pray for that, right? We don't we will not have to argue with anybody if our good deeds are so loud that Jesus loves people, that Jesus is reaching out to you, He wants to forgive your sin, He wants to take away your shame, He wants to relieve you of your guilt. So much, may our, may our works be that loud. So in that Vain. Look at what happens next. Peter and John, they go home, they go back, and the people pray. They were released, they went to their friends, they said what everybody happened. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God, and they prayed, woe is me, Lord, the world hates us, and they won't let us have church. No, they didn't. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in it, who through the mouth of our father David, They start quoting Psalm 2. And what do they pray for? You skip all the way down. Gosh, they interpret Psalm 2. Verse 29. Now, Lord, look upon their threats. Grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your servant, your holy servant, Jesus. They prayed for boldness. Lord, we've just been threatened within an inch of our life to never talk about Jesus again. Give us boldness to worship Jesus and to proclaim his name and to do his mighty works. Help, help us to not be afraid of anything. I'll give you some homework. I'm not going to go into it now because i talked about other stuff too much. But they quote Psalm 2. And look up Psalm 2. And when you read Psalm it's the whole thing of whenever they quote the Old Testament and the New Testament, go look it up and look at the context of it. Because when they pray Psalm 2, you can almost see Peter pointing his finger at the Sanhedrin saying, You crucified Jesus, but God raised him from the dead and will win. I mean, it's, it's the, the little excerpt here is great. But when you read all of Psalm 2, you're like, okay, they got really bold, really fast. Then, remember the pattern that happens in Acts? They have unity together. They they come together as the church. They pray together and they worship God. And then miracles happen. And this will happen over and over. This happened in Pentecost. This happened earlier. They come together, they worship God, and then there's an earthquake, you guys. Like, never mind fire and uh, wind, there's an earthquake. The place where they were gathered was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And they went out bolder than ever. Remember when those guys went to jail? 5,000 people were added to their group, those were Jerusalem people, not pilgrims. So now they've got over, they've got like 6,000 people in their whole group, boldly proclaiming the gospel and doing God's work. So it's amazing. I am want to stop. Next week, we're going to talk about money and what they did and how those 5,000 people lived together. So I hope you all enjoy your deep fried food. Like I am. And then we'll talk about that next week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. The way that you move through your Holy Spirit. That your Holy Spirit moves through us. And that you yourself, God, are alive in our bodies to do your work. And I pray that you would do it, Lord. I pray that we would be able to be witnesses and testimonies that we would be signpostponing to you this week, even if we don't say a single word. Help us to do your works and to see them, to see that you prepared them in advance for us to do and that we would walk in them and and execute them and make them just shine your light, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. Amen. All right, what number is it?